the people, they want to do the right thing. I'm not, you know, it just, everyone gets caught up in the, in the mess and you got to play the game. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think there are good people that want to do good things, but it, everyone gets caught up in the politics. And, and frankly, I think, you know, the introduction of social media has made it a lot more difficult to be um, in Congress because everything you say and do is, is, can be put out everywhere. And that's a problem. So people are doing politics through social media, which impacts on negotiations and that letting them do their jobs. And that's, that's a big part, in my view, big part of the problem. Trucking is difficult. It's an essential industry that every corner of the nation depends on, even without knowing it. To the average consumer, the supply chain is magic and sometimes a black hole. Products on store shelves, dinner on restaurant tables, packages on doorsteps. It's expected to be there on time, every time, and only recognized if there's a service failure. But how is a sausage made? Who's talking about the issues that matter to trucking companies? Welcome to True North Truck Thought, or the Triple T Pod for short. A monthly podcast hosted by Scopolitas Transportation Consulting and brought to you by True North Companies. We're here to demystify the magic, address the black holes, and to talk trucking to the industry we love. Whether it's the latest research, upcoming laws and rules, safety issues and solutions, or practical discussions about real-life supply chain challenges, the Triple T Pod is here to help the most important industry in our country to navigate its greatest challenges and opportunities. We bring together some of the best and brightest experts to talk about and tackle some of the most pressing industry issues. So without further ado, I'm Steve Kepler. And I'm Sean Garney. Let's get trucking. Hello and welcome back to the Triple T Podcast. For episode 16, we thought it appropriate to start off the new year by talking about what will come to trucking vis-a-vis government action this year. 2023 saw a virtually paralyzed Congress due to a deep partisan divide and buttress by infighting within the Republican Party. Meanwhile, the administration got its feet under it and accelerated its efforts in anticipation of a tough re-election battle ahead for President Biden. Now, as we head into a huge election year, many in the trucking industry and beyond are trying to read the tea leaves to help them prepare for what's to come in 2024 as the economy continues to normalize. And so today, we'll be covering the waterfront on government actions or inactions expected this year, what motor carriers should expect and how they might prepare. With us today is our old friend, Burt Mayo, Vice President of Risk Solutions at True North, a lifelong industry vet with experience driving and working in the trenches with motor carriers to improve safety and compliance. Bert, welcome back to the podcast. Good morning. Happy New Year. Belated Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we move into the new year, the most important event coming to us, of course, is the Super Bowl. (laughs) Steve and I, as Bills and Ravens fans, are a little bit bitter about this. And so, Bert, I have to ask you how your team is doing, but I have to warn you if your team is Kansas City. This could be a short podcast. So, Bert, <laughs> how are we doing in your NFL pool? Go Gators. Go Gators. <laughs> All right. I'm for that. I'm for that. You, uh, you, had, to, you had to bring that up, Sean. I was I was in a good good place, and now maybe not so much. Totally yeah. brutal. So, totally just brutal. so y'all oh, hey. know, the, the real power here at True North is a wonderful individual, Amy Souter, and she's a Chiefs fan. If you're not a Chiefs fan, nothing happens for you at True North. So I'm a Chiefs fan, just simply because oh, of Amy Oh, goodness. Stuff. Go oh, Chiefs, man. Amy. 
I'm against it. All right. Well, hey, uh, maybe we'll move on to the topic at hand, government regulation. I think um, for our regular listeners, they're used to Steve and I sort of inviting our experts, which include Bert and others, and sort of driving the conversation. But today, one of Scopolita's transportation consulting strength is, of course, um, uh, monitoring and interacting with the government, helping motor carriers prepare for for what might come. So we thought we might flip the script a little bit. Bert, if you're okay, hand the baton to you. You can fire some questions, try to lead the, lead us through these uh, these murky waters as we prepare for 2024. Multiple, say? multiple pages of expert questions prepared. Are y'all ready? Oh, boy. No, not ready. <laughs> we'll try anyway. So, well, to start off, let me correct your statement, Sean. Industry experts are not on this side. They're on that side. That's why the flip script has been flipped. So we're going to ask the true industry experts the questions today. So let's, let's jump right Sounds in. Good. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it's probably what everybody's expecting, though, right now as we head into an election year, which I hate to say that they come more frequently the older I get somehow. I don't know. <laughs> that's shocking to me. But here we are at another one. So, uh, Knowing that 2024 is a uh, presidential election year, can we expect anything to get done this year? Anything, much less what's going to happen in our industry. Yeah, so I'll I'll hop in here. It's a it's an awesome question. Um, there's a couple things at play here. Can we expect much to get done from a congressional standpoint? And I think the answer is quite clearly no. Um, can you guys guess how many bills Congress passed last year and were enacted by the president? That's a good question. Yeah. 27. 27. Lowest year since the Great Depression. Uh, and so I think given that it was such a tough year last year, it's very unlikely that we see much significant, anything of real significance come from Congress outside of stuff that they need to pass. Uh, and on the flip side, I think Biden, you know, entering this election year is really looking to deliver on on some of his campaign promises as much as as he can through administrative action, you know, agency rules or guidance or that sort of thing. You know, and from there, I think his campaign promises, he's really going to focus here continually on on labor, the environment and on safety. I think those are places he thinks he can win, at least with his base. Um, you know, and then, of course, I think they'll they'll work to accelerate certain things to try to, you know, complete any sort of legacy priorities that they might have. You think that's about right, Steve? Yeah. I mean, one of the signature pieces of legislation of his administration is the bipartisan infrastructure law. And so um, and that's chock full with a lot of things, um, you know, and I would I would agree with that. There's. A lot of focus on labor, um, not just through that bill, but through rulemakings and other activities, and, and the environmental issues certainly are um, are at play. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think in pushing money out the door, you know, being um, you know supply chain issues, lots of funding going to different parts of transportation. Mm, that's um, a good point. I think one of the the interesting things about that, you know, that I think one of the downstream effects that is going to, from a safety perspective, I think that we need to think about is work zones. You know, work zone crashes are a problem. We're going to see lots of work zones. And this isn't just a, a trucking issue, but it's a, a worker safety issue. 
So OSHA and, and those types of things, I think some of those downstream effects that really need to be watchful of. I think that's a great point, uh, Steve, which I hadn't really thought of as much as, and we're reading a lot about it in the trade press, Biden uh, and his administration just really pushing money out the door from the bipartisan infrastructure law. He's going to want to continue to remind voters uh, of that bipartisan piece of legislation that passed, and we'll continue to see additional announcements on grant funding and different infrastructure projects, truck parking, that sort of thing. And Steve, 100% correct. If I'm a motor carrier and I'm thinking, well, what does this mean for me? It means let's talk to my drivers about operating in a in a work zone. I think that's a fantastic call up. Yeah, great point, guys. I mean, uh, to your point, the public sees that as progress in some way, right? They see their lives potentially getting easier and more efficient. But our industry, that's that's a big challenge. I mean, and uh, it's happening. All of us travel every week, and we see that all over America right now. And what I'm hearing is we think it's just going to get uh, more of a challenge. Yep, agree 100%. Um, we see a lot more of these those signs that say, this project was brought to you by the bipartisan infrastructure law on the side of the road. Absolutely. So. Well, it, it, and I saw it, there's been some stuff in the, in the news the last couple of weeks or so. People are complaining now about messages on variable message signs. <laughs> so it's just it's it's uh, NHTSA put out that rule that said you can't you can't say anything funny yeah. on on those road signs because yeah. we don't want presumably we don't want drivers laughing as, as they drive by <laughs> so so anything that must get done that we've seen hang around that y'all think that has to be completed or at least get yeah Bert that's I mean that's the challenge and Steve and I were talking about this yesterday there's not a lot that must get done. Um, the appropriations process needs to get done. So it seems like we've got some agreement, at least on top line numbers, and that folks are working to actually push out 12 different uh, appropriations bills, which is has is not the norm anymore. It's mostly been minibuses or, or omnibus bills that, that contain lots of appropriations. Um, a few other things like FAA reauthorization, um, but not a lot that absolutely has to go, which which is which is notable because, as we know, the last several years, Congress really only legislates by crisis, right? They mm -hmm. need to be up against a deadline, and then they deal only with this crisis. But then what happens is all of these other priorities that people have been working on, you know, all these little bills, well, the old paperclip comes out, it just gets attached to this must-sign piece of legislation, and then it and then it goes through. So if there's any hope of things happening from a trucking perspective in Congress, I, I think that's the primary path that it'll take. What do you think, Steve? What do you think? Are there pieces of legislation out there that, that we should look out for that might get paperclipped or? Well, you know, I think it's a good question. In an election year, you see a lot of marker bills just thrown out there. People introducing stuff just so they can campaign on it. Um, and what happens because of your point, Sean, um, all, you know, these, these money based bills become a vehicle to attach, you know, all the ornaments on the Christmas tree. Um, and there's lots of these things in the, in the right, right now, the, the biggest conversation is relating to the border. Right. And, and so there's, there's this horse trading going on. So, so I think, um, so what you have to look for is bills that have bipartisan support. So you've got 
bipartisan support, Democrats and Republicans, and hopefully you've got support on the House and the Senate. Um, and so, I, you know, there's not a ton that are in that space right now. I think, I think Sean, you mentioned it earlier. I think truck parking um, is an issue that has pretty wide, wide support, um, not just on the congressional side, but on the administration side. So I think that's an area, um, you know, there is some some relative uh, support for um, issues with uh, hazmat and um, endorsements and TWIC with duplicative background security checks. So there's there's a few things here and there that have that broader support. Um, but the challenge is when when they don't legislate and and these policy riders, no one wants, particularly when it's crunch time and they got to get a bill passed. They don't want any policy riders holding things up. So um, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, Steve, on that, the whole messaging legislation thing, I was just looking up at, you know, Congress's uh, progress over the years, and they took 267 votes so far this session in Congress, which is actually not that far outside of the norm. Um, if you annualize that, you know, over two years, it'd be 534, which is which is about average, a little low but about average, but we're only passing 27%. So as, as our listeners see all of the headlines come through about all of these important bills that are being brought up, um, I think we should definitely look at them with an eye toward a paralyzed Congress without much must-to-dos out there. So yeah. That sets me up perfectly, Sean, for the next question is, is, how do we get things done in this age of divided government? How do we get more bipartisanship? Oh, man. Boy, if I had an answer to that problem, <laughs> you know, I I certainly would, would offer it. I mean, I think politics is so divided and entrenched right now that it's about building coalitions. I think I look to the um, to the coalition that, you know, ATA built on the hazmat harmonization bill that which is 150 organizations deep. Now, that's something that might get done, you know. Um, so I, I think building, building that momentum or that chatter, uh, is, is really one of the only ways we can, we can go here outside of waiting for the, for the next crisis in Congress. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I would, I would tend to agree there, you know, the, what you, what you've seen the last couple of years, and this creates some angst also, um, is you've seen, a lot of presidents increasing more executive orders, executive actions on things that um, and trying to stretch their authority. Um, and so you've seen some things challenged in court because of that, uh, because the administration gets frustrated for, from Congress. Say, OK, well, you know what? I'm I'm going to do it and come after me. And so I think that that creates a, another level of of difficulty Um and kind of breaks with the norm um, of how things traditionally are done politically and the separation of powers between the various branches of government. And so I, I think that, you know, that type of, of trend is not good. Um, but I don't blame the administration because Congress is dysfunctional. And I think if in, and, and um, you know, the public, you ask the public, most of them feel that way. Both sides doesn't matter what, where you sit. Yeah. And so I, I'd, I'd actually, I have two points on that, Steve. 
Um, you're right that administrative action has has taken hold as a way to actually accomplish accomplish things that that the administration prioritizes. Of course, there's a big case in front of the Supreme Court this year, um, and I won't. I'm not a constitutional scholar, so I won't get that that far into it. But it it revolves around the the Chevron deference, which is was a case uh, many many years ago that where the Supreme Court decided, hey. Because Congress hasn't specifically spoken on this, um, we're, we're going to grant deference to the agency's experts as far as the appropriateness of this particular rule. And that 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 doctrine is being questioned in the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court should say the Chevron deference is, is inappropriate, then we could move closer to a space where the administrative branch uh, really can, the executive branch really can only work on things Congress has specifically um, called out. And of course, that's probably a little bit hyperbole and I'm no lawyer, but I, I do think that's a concern. And the other thing to that point is, uh, let's think back to when uh, Trump was elected initially, right? And one of the first things that happened, Congress flipped as well. Um, and all of a sudden, the Congressional Review Act became the big sexy term that everybody wanted to talk about because it meant that any recently passed rules could be overturned by a majority vote in Congress. Um, and so, and of course, a you know, signature by the president. And so uh, I think the administration is eager to get some of its very important or, you know, rules that it feels is very important out sooner rather than later to try to avoid the Congressional Review Act, which has a, a limited time span during which it can be used. So. And I think the last thing that I'll, I'll mention here is, um, you know, Congress needs to do a better job. They need to they need to stop the politicking and really do what they were sent to Congress to do. And that support the, the people that voted them there and, and pay attention to their issues and and let bygones be bygones. You need to work collectively and be 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 adults. Who are you, Steve? Do you even know how Congress works? <laughs> yes, no. I do. I, I do. Um, no, but I, I think there's people people. They want to do the right thing. I'm not. You're right. You know, You're right. It just everyone gets caught up in the in the mess, and you got to play the game. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think there are good people that want to do good things, but it, everyone gets caught up in the politics. And and frankly, I think you know the introduction of social media has made it a lot more difficult to be um, in Congress because everything you say and do is is can be put out everywhere. And that's a problem. So people are doing politics through social media, which yep. impacts on negotiations and that letting them do their jobs. And that's, that's a big part, in my view, big part of the problem. And, and to that point, Steve, I think it's more important today than ever that for motor carriers, let's keep it in our world, that their voices be heard. And the only way to do that I see effectively is join your state associations, join the ATA, join the TCA, join the NTTC, you know, whoever it is, they have, they, that's what they do is help push that message. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, they've got a tough job up there on the Hill and they've got lots of issues and constituencies to serve. And if they don't see you, they assume everything's okay. So you've got to, right. you've got to put the time and energy in and, and make sure they are educated on what, things that are important to you for sure. Yep. Being, being, being part of your state, and this is not an advertisement for that, but being part of your state trucking association to me is one of the most important things motor carriers can do. Amen. You know, the thing is, like, 
you you as a carrier are facing problems. Other carriers have faced that problem. That's right. Where are those carriers? They're at your state association. You know, yep. so what a great way to improve. In fact, the ATRI study came out, uh, was it mid-year last year that said, if you join your state association, you're more likely to have a, a strong safety and compliance record. So, um, you know, they go hand in glove for sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, speaking of some more things up on the Hill, we've had a kind of a revolving door up there here. Uh, you know, Steenberg late last year and then uh, Hutchinson and Adam. Any of that impacting what's going on up there? It seems a little bit unstable to me right now. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Both, let us, both let us nodding, know. so Steve. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I mean, if you look at the history of the agency, um, you know, they've, they've had very few uh, leaders that have been there for any really lengthy period of time, um, and not, and you know, less than half were confirmed, and so it's not surprising that this happens. Um, um, the challenge, I mean, FMCSA is a difficult job anyway, <clears throat> um, diff, you know, with all the different constituencies they need to deal with. And and so, you know, having having a lack of a confirmed leader, and now you've got the top two politicals that have 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 left, have left the the. Uh, um, and so I, I think that will impact on on things. Certainly, um, you know, some major rules probably will get set aside. Um, that they were working on, um, you know, so you've got that. Plus, it's an election year. I just think you're going to have not a lot of, of, of traction on any significant rules. Um, you know, we saw one you know, significant rulemaking report just came out yesterday, and one of them already is kicked down the, kicked down the road. Um, several have been kicked down the road. Um, so <clears throat> you're, I think you're going to see them focusing on things that aren't maybe as controversial or politically charged. Yeah, I agree, Steve. And I, I had the good fortune of speaking with uh, one of the more senior FMCSA folks uh, left in the administration uh, just last week uh, and sort of asked him a little bit about, hey, with with Robin gone and, and Adam's gone, like how is this going to impact um, your momentum going into the year? And, you know, the response was essentially, well, it depends on the, the temperament and the experience of the person coming in. Right. If they're inclined to grant some deference to um, longtime agency bureaucrats, then then we could get some things done. But if they're more inclined to sort of be questioning and uh, really slow walking things, then we're, we're less likely to see that. And we saw that with um, the proposed CSA changes, which took forever to come out, despite the fact that um, we had <clears throat> intelligence that they were pretty much locked and loaded about three administrators ago. So. <clears throat> It's a good call. I want to talk a little bit about significant rulemakings report because it did come out. Uh, it, it's far less regular than it used to be. It used to be like a monthly report. Now it seems like a semi-annually report. But I looked at it and there are 11 rules on the significant rulemaking report. And um, for those listening, to be a significant rule, it needs to be, uh, what, what is the threshold, Steve? Is it 100, 100 million? 100 million. Yeah. 100, it needs to, to have over 100 million in in costs, or it needs to be sort of a, a politically charged issue. There are 11 rules on there. Uh, six of those rules do not have a due date, right? So six of them show we don't know when we're going to publish it. And um, and the other five are um, have due dates on them, 
but only one is scheduled to go to final this year. So um, just a few interesting tidbits from the rulemaking report. Anything that has to happen needs to be, in your opinion, Sean, needs to get done sooner than later? Oh, and man. Well, that's a great that's a great question. And I have a few thoughts on that. One is, you know, just earlier this week, FMCSA came out with their CDL flexibility um, notice of proposed rulemaking, which I think has really great potential to increase throughput of um, new drivers into the industry. It's going to make testing easier. It's going to allow them uh, flexibility in where they get trained versus where they get licensed. Um, and it's going to get them on the road sooner. And so uh, if if there's one thing I'd like to see continue to move forward, it's that one. Of course, um, the proposal just dropped, so we're a little farther out. So that's one I'd call out. And there's others, but uh, certainly I want to hear what Steve thinks is well, you know, I look at it and I don't, I don't have, if I had to pick one and I really don't want to have to pick one, but I will. Well, it's Bert's show. So Bert, can you choose two or what? <laughs> Steve, you get two. Well, I look at this through uh, two lenses. One is what, what's most impactful on safety and two, what's most impactful on relieving burden or providing flexibility to the industry, right? To me, that, those are the two lenses that I look at it from. And Sean, CDL flexibility was on my list as kind of in that second bucket. Um, I also would put, um, you know, the, um, the data cues appeals process, crash preventability, and to some degree CSA in that bucket. Um, and also the, the California meal and rest break preemption issue. Uh, because of, you know, the potential that that has to be a big problem with hours of service. Um, on the safety side, if, if I had to choose, you know, the AB rule, because um, that, you know, if you look at kind of the numbers of it impacts on crashes and safety, that's got significant impacts. Um, but I, you know, I, I think the CDL, CLP downgrade rule, that's, you know, it's it's on track. Getting prohibitive drivers off the road, I, I would put that in that bucket. And I would, you know, oral fluids and hair testing um, also. So, you know, and and another one that, I don't know, a lot more than two here, but one. That, I was just about to say, who's yeah, keeping yeah, score? Well, you know. I did, it, <laughs> so one, one more, one more that a lot of folks won't, won't it's, it's not an FMCSA, it's a NHTSA, um, and it was directed out of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, and the directive to create, to mandate, um, interlocking devices on cars for impaired driving. So there you go. Thank you, Steve. Tough to know where to start there. That's a big <laughs> list. <laughs> Sorry. Well, so your, your comment, how you started that on safety, which I love, right. Which is kind of where my world is, is, uh, just staying in protecting, improving safety on America's highways and roadways, right? I just think that's kind of always been my charge in life uh, and something that kind of sneaks in there at times and there's debate whether it impacts or not, but hours of service. We saw an increase in May, I believe there was a study I read that we saw an increase in driver violations, roadside violations and hours of service. 
Is that prompting anything? What do y'all see happening there? So, yeah, so uh, it's interesting because, you know, having been in the industry a long time, been, been watching all of this, hours of service is always on the list of things to talk about. It mm-hmm. is relatively quiet right now on that front. There's a few things we're waiting for. We're waiting for FMCSA to um, to finalize its uh, improved definition of what is a yard move, which should give uh, some carriers and drivers additional flexibility on using using yard move in circumstances where the private property might not be controlled by a gate, uh, which has sort of been, you know, part of the definition previously. So, so we're waiting on that, um, which I think could be important. Um, there's uh, an ag haulers exception uh, that we're waiting for to be finalized, but that won't have much impact because we're already under an interim final rule there. Um, and then ELD technical revisions. So FMCSA is looking at how to improve the ELD rules uh, to make it easier or to make it more efficient and, and, to create additional oversight mechanisms for the agency to, to enforce its rules against, um, against ELD providers. So I guess that's that. And also I'd say don't sleep on Canada who's still working on, um, on improving their ELD regulations and beginning enforcement. So if you're operating in Canada, um, you know, ELD issues, uh, training drivers to, to, communicate with roadside enforcement, all of that, I think are going to be important from an hours of service perspective. And um, so there's my two or three. Steve, you, you mentioned hair <laughs> testing, any other big changes? I know we got clearinghouse coming up in November, prohibitive drivers in the clearinghouse, any other changes coming in drug testing? Yeah. I mean, there, there are some things on the docket to, uh, for appeals for employer decided refusals and also elect, electronic forms and signatures and record keeping. Um, the other, the other thing that's the 800 pound gorilla, um, is, um, marijuana. Um, and with legalization in the States and the pot and HHS recommending the DEA to, to take it from a schedule one to schedule three drug. Um, so I think the, that, that issue right there, I think is going to take some oxygen out of the con in the, out of the conversation this year, cause you're going to see more and more, um, you know, one of the, and there's, there's lots of activity going on with trying to, one of the big challenges is roadside testing for drugs and having a legit a device or, or types of devices that can help test roadside. And you're seeing some advancements there. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's going to continue to be a challenge in the drug testing space. You know, I think back to hours of service for, for one second, and Sean covered pretty pretty much what I would suggest too. I also, you know, California and Washington mill rest break issue. But um, the other thing that is the FMCSA is working on kind of behind the scenes that hasn't been talked about quite a bit, and this is through uh, co- collaboration with CBSA, they're doing a study on personal conveyance um, and looking at the impacts of personal, you know, what is contributing to personal conveyance, why it's happening, so they've got a questionnaire list that roadside enforcement is addressing with drivers when they find them, find them operate using personal conveyance. So they're doing a study collecting roadside data. Um, and this is precipitated by a couple of petitions for rulemaking by CBSA to try and get more clarity on the definition. So I suspect, um, you know, they're, they'll, that, they're, that study is ongoing. Um, they, they started it last year. So 
I suspect we'll hear something about that this year um, in terms of the results of that study and potential action either by the agency or CBSA. Yeah, uh, good call out, Steve. Um, and sorry, I missed those on hours of service. Appreciate appreciate you grabbing those. Um, Want to circle back to to drugs and alcohol? Just a few things that I think carriers are, are thinking about. You mentioned the downgrade rule, so you know, just for background, we've had the clearinghouse in place for a long time. Well, uh, three years, four years almost, uh, and so. The one challenge has been, of course, once a driver is prohibited from operating a commercial motor vehicle, they still have a valid CDL. They're just prohibited in the clearinghouse. And so um, there is some thought that that, um, that that is a loophole. That means that drivers can continue to operate even if they've had one of these violations that technically doesn't allow them. And so FMCSA uh, came out with a subsequent rule that said, hey, states, listen here. If a driver in your state ends up on the clearinghouse, we're going to send you a push notification. All right. And you need to take that push notification and begin your downgrade process. Right. So we're going to make your license inactive or, you know, downgraded so that you're not allowed to operate this commercial motor vehicle. Um, or they'll, their states will be required to review the clearinghouse record before they take a licensing action like uh, issuance, renewal, or upgrade or that sort of thing. And if they're prohibited, they'll be taken off the road. Really good news for the industry here um, with, of course, the warning that uh, it could take the state up to 60 days to downgrade any one of these licenses. So we could have, you know, we know that from the clearinghouse, we end up having two buckets of drivers, right? We have the driver who fails the, the drug test and says, okay, that's enough for me. I'm going somewhere else. And that sadly so far has been the bulk of of those that have been listed in the clearinghouse. But then there's this other bucket of drivers who do go through the process. And you can pretty quickly go through the process and, and take that initial return to duty test and be authorized to, to drive. And that could happen before 60 days, right? And so um, there'll be some inconsistency there. And it's just a warning to motor carriers to say, hey, let's Make sure that we're closely scrutinizing clearinghouse records, that we're really understanding the full picture um, before we before we take actions, because we know states are slow and not great at transmitting data and a whole bunch of other things. And so, you know, let's be careful there. And then the last thing I want to mention on on drug testing, of course, is hair testing. Right. And, and we've all been waiting for something to happen on hair testing. The Department of Health and Human Services came out with a rule. Uh, our proposed rule several years ago that said, okay, you can use hair testing, but if the driver tests positive for hair testing, you need to, you need to confirm it with a urine test, which is about the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen proposed on paper. Um, so, of course, uh, widespread industry uh, concern over this. Um, it has the potential to drive carriers away from hair testing, not towards hair testing. Um, and so HHS is working on a, a new rule. They're now working on a supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, but I was looking at these, and I don't think it's a misprint from the website. And, Steve, maybe you can confirm. They've had an SNPRM at OMB since March of last year. And so something's hung up with that thing. Yeah. There is probably some big political concerns 
uh, maybe some, you know, financial justification concerns. Um, and it's potentially a, a topic or an area that the Biden administration is less enthused to, to sort of continue. So I know we're all eager to hear what they're going to say on hair testing. I am too. Um, but I'm just, I'm losing a little faith in, in the process, at least for 2024, um, to get anything significant that would be actionable. Yeah, I think the, you're, you're right. It's odd that it'd be sitting at OMB that long. Um, 90 days are supposed to get time. To. Yeah. And I think there are some political things going on there too. Um, there was some direction in Congress several years back um, on some areas they were concerned about um, with respect to hair testing, because it could be, it could be some bias in terms of how it treats certain parts of the population versus others. So that could be weighing in on that. Sean, I want to ask you something to clarify. You said that was about the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. What was the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen written down? Oh, shoot. Can I park that question? Give me yes, a little minute. Let's park that. Okay. <laughs> It has to relate to this podcast, by the way. I don't want to hear some letter from somebody in the past. And, you know. Okay, let's get to the big Oh, list. I know what it is. I know what it is. Years Remind ago. Let's get, to, let's get to the big one. Oh, yeah. Speed Go limiter ahead. rule. Yeah. Speed oh, limiter man. rule. Speaking of big gorillas in the room. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I, I, in the significant rulemaking report that just came out, they punted it, kicked it down the road um, until I think May, another five months um, to get it to get it uh, to get a, a, a supplemental uh, pushed out. Um, which, based on our conversation earlier, I, I think it's a recipe for for not for it not happening. Um, <laughs> for not happening. So, so uh, that, that's that would be my. That would be my guess. Um, but I know there's lots of, you know, there's Congress has weighed in on this. I just, I see it. I mean, not having an administrator, uh, I, I just see it. I, I think that's a recipe for it being kicked down the road. I think that's right, Steve. And with such a, such a cacophony of opposition uh, to this rule, um, if we're making political calculations. That's a, that's a 50 cent word. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So if I'm making if I'm making sort of political assessments and I'm the, the Biden administration, I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? Let's slow walk this thing. Let's not tell, um, you know, 750,000 motor carriers and, you know, 8.5 million truck driver, 3.5 million truck drivers that um, that we're going to we're going to govern your truck and you can only drive so fast. Um, you know, there's, there's a sentiment among, among, uh, the trucking industry that, uh, maybe that wouldn't be the most popular thing. And so I, I think I'd agree with Steve that we're looking at a slow walk here. Uh, I still stand firm on my prediction. If, if it ever does come out 68, I, I still, I still think 68 is the, the number, but we may not see anything. What about changes to uh CSA? Can we expect anything there? Safety rating process. God willing. I, I, I think that will happen. That That is something I do think will happen, uh, particularly because it's technically not a rule. 
They've, they've put out notice and comment. They've got feedback. They didn't get, they only had 176 comments, I think, on that order. Um, some opposition. Um, um, but I, I, I think we will have, we will see that. I think we'll see that. I think we'll see them address the data queues appeals notice they put out. I think they'll also up the crash preventability. Um, I think. Um, you know, we talked earlier about one of the significant rulemakings kicked down the road. The safety fitness determination rule was punted to 2025. Um, and I, I think that um, and if you look at some of the congressional action on this over the years, one of the things that, that Congress directed back a number of years ago is that, you know, the Government Accountability Office did a report on CSA, a number of recommendations and issues. We won't go into the details of it, but one of the in the legislation that was surrounding that, um, one of the requirements was that um, the inspector general had to certify that FMCSA did all these things before they could consider using CSA in safety fitness determination in, in assessing safety ratings. And I, my my view of the world, and I don't know, I'd be interested to see Sean's, Sean's viewpoint on this too, but my thinking is they're they're doing all these things to address all the findings from that GAO report, and then they're going to go to the IG and say, "Look, certify us," and they're going to try to use the the SMS CSA SMS in in conducting safety ratings. That's that's my projection. Yeah, Steve, I think I think that's right. I mean, we talked about the politics of the year, and if we're looking if we're looking at opportunities for FMCSA to um, you know, to be a little kinder to the industry, then, um, yeah, the bulk of the industry commented in support or neutrally on, on CSA. Uh, but the industry absolutely agrees that improvements are necessary. And so I think that's politically favorable. Uh, improving the data queues process, boy, there's a lot of complaints about the data queues process out there. And expanding the, the preventability program these are all things that are not official rulemakings, as you mentioned, Steve, and that are popular. And so I definitely think I definitely think this is a space where we could we could see some um, some some real change that impacts motor carriers in a positive way. And you think that could happen this year? Yes. Yes. I yeah, like it. I think I think this is stuff that that carriers feel pretty quickly, you know. Yep. And so if I'm you know, if I'm pushing towards a favorable rating, that's one that's one way for me to get there. Yeah, I think the the question that I think that is with respect to CSA, your original question, Bird, is what's the effective date of the changes? You know, once they make the make okay, how how much time are they gonna give for for a transition? Um, because there's not just motor carriers that are impacted, there's a number of suppliers that um, and other, you know, third party people. I mean, you guys use CSA data too, right? So there's a lot of third, you know, third parties that are, that have developed lots of tools and, and solutions to ingest that data and use it. Um, and so, um, you know, and there, there are going to be imp kind of those downstream impacts on those types of companies to be able to adjust their tools to be able to support the changes. Well, that's good news. Yeah. Uh, no, did you yeah, think, think we were going to deliver good news on this podcast, Bert? <laughs> Not at all. I How had about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so question, question for you. What do you think 
is from your perspective, you asked us about, you know, what, what do you think would be an important, you know, the most important or a couple things that, that could or should happen this year? So I think uh, I'm with you on the CSA or just the changes there. We've all been holding our breath for years, right? And, and we can tread water for a little while, but at some point we got to get pulled ashore. And we, you go back, I mean, I don't, I'm probably 10, 15 years ago now, right? No, 10, 10 years. Uh, when all the data was coming out, it didn't impact safety in any way. It didn't, it didn't impact crashes in any way. And we're still seeing, I'm, this is a personal thing, as both of y'all know. I call you probably daily on this if I call you about anything. It's driver fitness. You know, that just is not impactful to the safety of an organization or motor carriers rarely, right? I'm sure there is a line somewhere in there. But uh, I just like to see some, I would like to see that change, whether it's data queue or it's uh, another, uh, a quicker avenue where the states are updating the licenses or something. Some some change, some help there. Uh, yeah, and there is some help on driver fitness potentially in the CSA changes, specifically additional segmentation of that. Of and, that and, thresh- and, and threshold changes. Yeah, and threshold changes too. So yeah. we, we could get some good news on that, Bert. But I agree with you, Bert. If you look at research, there's in, 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 in some, if you look at the ATRI, it's an inverse proportion. And, yes. Um, so and and, and, uh, and we see. I mean, I see some of the. It's common things, right? Like the automatic transmission, uh, you know, restriction, or the, the driver gets Lasix and he still has his, you know, his uh, corrective lens requirement. Just and, and I know this isn't a shot at the enforcement side of this at all because they we need them to do what they do, and I appreciate them. But it's just like man, and, and you take you put. A, you put a motor carrier in ISS red for 18 months because of something like that. Well, and I think to your point in the comments, a lot of folks commented to the rule, uh, to the one to the rule in the CSA notice in terms of the changes. A lot of folks said, look, you need to separate out administrative type violations versus those that are more geared towards safety. Um, and a lot of the driver fitness are what I would deem to be administrative in nature. Um, you know, somewhat similar to kind of form and manner on logs. Right. So, um, and so I think there is space for, you know, um, changes in that, in that world to separate out those types, different types of violations. Um, we'll see what they come out with. Yeah. And and I'd agree. And we, we could have a totally new podcast on this. Uh, of course, you know, I, nobody here is saying driver credentialing is unimportant or that, Drivers right. shouldn't have right. That's right. CDLs exactly right. and that sort of thing. But what we're saying is like we need to rationalize the process a little bit so that, you know, one-off challenges don't inflate basic scores. And that's the problem. You can have a tiny, tiny driver fitness score, but uh, so many of your peers have even fewer or a smaller that, you know, you're – your percentile score is inflated. So that's a challenge. Well, I, yeah, this is a whole nother passion project of yours, Steve, but I mean, this is to me why beyond compliance. I mean, you know, I, when I deal with motor carriers that, that have a something happen, whether it be in the, you know, corrective lenses or whatever, I'm like, but you don't, they, their crash scores of three and their unsafe driving is a four, but you have an ISS red. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, all right, 
Yeah. Y'all right y'all are going to be asking the questions. Dang it, Steve. Let me move on here with my 15 pages. <laughs> 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 no, but you're right. And, and, and Bert, to your point, and, and just a plug for those of you that haven't seen our Beyond Compliance podcast, go see it. But um, but I, I think to your point, that was to me, that's one of the other things on the list, um, if you were to say, that could make an impact um, that the agency should move forward with. That would be it, too. Yeah, me too. And that's an amen on, on this end for that. Uh, since I, I called out our enforcement brethren out there a minute ago, what do you see as the new enforcement initiatives coming in 2024 where the rubber meets the road? Our, our drivers out there, motor carriers listening to prepare their drivers. What do we see as a change coming for 2024 out there? Oof. Um, there's quite a bit happening, um, kind of behind the, beyond the, behind, some of it's behind the scenes, some of it's in front of the scenes. Um, but this is where so much of the action is happening right now. Yeah. You know, as government slows down, others are stepping up and finding new ways to solve, solve problems. So it didn't mean to interrupt you, Steve, but yeah, it's a, it's an exciting space. No, but you're, you're right. I mean, we talked about the bipartisan infrastructure law a few, a little bit ago, but that provided a lot of enhanced resources to both FMCSA and the states. Um, and so a lot of them are, there's a lot more research work going on by FMCSA, um, looking at, you know, high risk carriers, looking at kind of new entrants um, and crash performance and how does that impact? There's, um, you know, last, I guess, a year and a half ago, FMCSA put out a, an AMPRM on unique identification for commercial vehicles, electronic identification. Um, so we We'll see where that goes, um, but there's CBS. nowhere. Yeah, CBSA <laughs> is working on its uh, level eight inspection program, electronic inspection, and that's a, there's a joint effort between them and FMCSA. There's an operational test. On that's that. the future. It's, Pay attention to that. It's getting ready to start. Um, you know this operational test. There's uh, enhanced inspections for ADS vehicles. Uh, there's there's a lot of states that are using you know tire. Tire uh, classic anomaly systems technologies to look at tire inflation and, and tire heat 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 temperature, um, there, and there's you know there's distracted driving technology that's being deployed in a couple of states. So there's a lot of things the states are doing, um, and I think probably um, one of the things that doesn't get really talked about quite a bit that's going to transform things for everybody is FMCSA is on this IT modernization effort. So they have a plan between now and 2026 to revamp all of their IT systems. Um, they've started with their inspection software that, that has been launched. The next big effort is they're modernizing their whole registration system, the URS system, but they've got a plan out to 2026 that's going to revamp everything. Um, that's going to ch change the paradigm on, on a lot of things, data quality issue into the whole host of things that are, are going to be addressed. So Steve. Um, follow up question here. Unpack this a little bit for us, because I do think it's a, as David O'Neill would say, a big dot deal, this industry modernization thing. But I think a lot of people might say, you know, I'm glad you're getting a new computer, FMCSA, but how is this, how is this going to impact us? So can you just, just pull that apart just a little bit for us and say, how does enforcement get better? How does safety improve through modernization? Well, a couple things. One, what's the biggest thing that's challenged with for data queues? It's not my inspection, right? So, so, so the the quality going into the system and the, all the error checks, 
all the, the quality and the cleansing, um, the ability for systems to talk to each other. Um, and to sh that's a big one. Um, and so, so I think, you know, if you look at, there was a study that FMCSA just put out back in December on driver disqualifications and how it, they tracked from a roadside inspection all the way to the time that that violation was adjudicated um, and posted to the driver's sitless record. And it was unbelievable how few of those violations made it to the record. 7%, 90,000 roadside inspections were conducted where a potentially disqualifying violation was identified by the inspecting officer. And only 6,300 of them were on the driver's history record once it got through the process. So, so we've got a huge data gap. Um, and so modernizing the IT systems will be able to identify, help in identifying those things. A lot of them were error problems, you know, miss, you know, you know, uh, manual entry things. So, uh, you know, a lot of that, um, once you automate some of those things um, and you have much better technology to, to identify anomalies and deal with it, it's going to be, it's going to really help from a data quality perspective, I believe, uh, both for the agency as well as for industry. Um, so I think it's, it's a huge effort, um, and it, uh, so they're, they've got a pretty pretty aggressive timetable. Well, and even on the most basic level, this miners just look at URS. Like it, we hardly even know how many carriers and drivers are in the industry, yeah. you know, because yep. we don't have great data checks and you know uh, reporting and that sort of thing. So even modernizing URS will at least give us a better sense for scope of problem and that sort of thing. And it's going to get, it's going to be better at identifying chameleon carriers, right? So that's a big Good problem. Those industry, guys, we know. Carriers that go out of business. That's right. So, I, you know, um, but, you know, I think there's, they're on a track. Um, I think to, to really if data is a big focus for them at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I think focusing on the root problem and making sure their systems are all, all up to speed and current and modernized I think has lo very long-term positive impacts. Yeah, agree. Sorry, Bert, stole a question from you. No, perfect. I think that I had one last question. I think this is what we'll close the show with. Sean, what was your most ridiculous thing you've ever seen written down? Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, back when CSA came out, we, uh, as an industry, used to throw a lot of, uh, shoot a lot of arrows at FMCSA to say, hey, you've not taken into account preventability or fault at all in any of these crashes you use to base your your driver fitness or your uh, crash indicator score on. And so we called on them to, to erect a preventability process. And what they said, of course, was, okay, we're going to study it. And then they studied it. And they were like, well, this is impossible. There's no way we can do this because it's going to cost us $11 million and it's going to take two years to adjudicate a single crash. But here we are, however many years later, and we've got a process. So those are some early conclusions. Um, and, and oh, here's another one. when On CSA, when the recent changes came out and they were like, it is impossible for us to address geographic enforcement disparity because the states won't let us. That was pretty ridiculous too. I, I, I'll tell you mine. I know you, I know you asked Sean, but I'll tell you mine. Please. Is, is 
Please FMCSA's, do. FMCSA's decision to to change their own decision on this California meal and rest <laughs> break issue. On their oh, pre- so much better than mine. I take my back. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're going to go against ourselves and we're going to let you challenge us. <laughs> I think that uh, we need it. One of our podcasts coming up for 2024 needs to be the most ridiculousness or the most ridiculous. Ooh, yes. I like well, that. I, I like that. But I think what I would, the way that, because Sean knows this about me, if you're going to, I think if you're going to point out a problem or an issue, you got to offer a solution. So if we're going to do the most ridiculous things, we also should say the most, the best things that we think have been done. That, well, the, like the things they did, just like correct in California, that, let's give what happened to it. I think credit, give credit where credit's due. It's a, it's a functioning industry at times. It's very non-functioning at times, but uh, good news for today. Sean, I'm going to let you close us out. Any closing comments though, before we go, Steve? I think uh, actually, probably- I think Steve's going to close us out, but I've got one last thing I want to say. Uh, There's one big rule that we didn't talk about today. And that was the definition of an independent contractor. Uh, (sighs) And that final rule. And that is another big dot deal. Good news. Good news. Next month, we've got Greg Fury coming back. We've got Chris Gulker coming back, kind of redoing a podcast we did on the notice of proposed rulemaking to help the industry learn about what's different and how to react. So that is a big dot deal we did not cover today, but we did not cover it because we're going to cover it in great detail next month. Thanks, Sean. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of True North Truck Thought. If you enjoyed the topic today and want to tune in for future conversations here on the Triple T Pod, make sure to follow us. Also, please don't hesitate to let us know which topics you want us to cover in future episodes. Drop us a line in the comments section or send us an email to transportationnews at truenorthcompanies.com. Thanks and have a safe day.